How's everyone doing? Good. Great. Great. You guys must have all your Christmas shopping done. Either that or you haven't started yet, right? One of the two. Well, I want to begin, I know this is very unusual for me to begin with a question, but I am going to ask you a question. I want to know how many of you know what an autostereogram is, an autostereogram. These were pretty popular years ago. I don't see any hands raised, but you know what? When I show you one, you're probably going to go, oh, that's what an autostereogram is. Can we put that image up? I have an image of an autostereogram. Now you guys remember? Yeah, these, like I said, were popular years ago. It's a two-dimensional image that can create the optical illusion of a three-dimensional image depending on how it's viewed. Now, at first glance, when you look at this, it appears to just be like wallpaper with some sort of a bizarre repeating pattern. But a hidden 3D scene emerges when the image is viewed with the correct virgence. Virgence. Now, what in the world is virgence? Well, when we look at a typical 2D image, our eyes converge on the image. They create an angle of what's called convergence. Now, in order to view the hidden 3D image of an autostereogram, our eyes need to adopt more of a parallel angle. Parallel. Now, we never really look at anything with perfectly parallel virgence because we wouldn't be able to see anything. Our eyes have to converge at some point. But with an autostereogram, that point of convergence is actually beyond the surface. You have to look beyond the surface. I remember looking at one of these things with some coworkers numbers of a number of years ago, and everybody going, ooh, 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 I see it, I see it. You know, and I'm standing there going, see what? What are you talking about? Right? And they would say, no, 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 you have to look beyond the picture. Your point of convergence has to be beyond the picture in order to see this 3D image. You can take it down now. Everybody's trying to find the 3D image, right? Please take it down. Thank you. Okay, back up here. You ever, you ever find the Bible to kind of be that way? Especially the Old Testament. You know, you read it and you find yourself kind of staring at the pages and thinking, you know, I don't get this. This doesn't really make any sense. Why did the writer write this? You feel like you're staring at an auto-stereogram. You see the words, but you don't understand how all of this contributes to the story. Well, sometimes, like those crazy pictures, those auto-stereograms, you need to look beyond the surface to truly comprehend the meaning behind the words. So today, we're going to continue in our series of messages I'm calling, Do You See What I See? And in this Advent season, as we look forward to Christmas and, and the celebration of the birth of Christ, we're going to look back at some of those prophecies in the Old Testament, and we're going to look beyond the surface to see how those prophecies pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus. 
Now, last week, we looked at Psalm 72. And we saw how Solomon encouraged the nation of Israel to pray. He encouraged the nation of Israel to pray that God's kingdom of peace would come through a future Davidic king. And that that peace would spread then to the ends of the earth. The prayer was for peace on earth. The same peace that was announced by the angels who appeared to the shepherds some 2,000 years ago. And we saw that God's kingdom of peace came near at the birth of Christ. But will come in perfection and for eternity when Christ returns. That incredible day that we look forward to with such great anticipation. Today, today we're going we're gonna to focus on the Christmas star. The star. We see it everywhere. We see it on top of Christmas trees. We see it in our, our slides here. We see it in advertisements. The star is a pretty well-known symbol of Christmas. And it is the star of hope. It's the star that points to the Messiah. Points to the birth of Jesus. Again, one of the most recognized signs that we see. And what we'll see is that this sign, this star, it evokes and requires a response from each of us. Now, we know from Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, we read it in Matthew chapter 2, there were wise men that came. Wise men. They came to Jerusalem and they said this in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, chances are you've heard these words before many times. And I think that because they're so familiar, we tend to take them just like at face value. And we really don't question what it is that's behind them. But in order to understand God's story of redemption, we need to dig a little bit deeper. We need to look beyond the surface. Now, the first thing that we should be curious about is who are these guys? Who are these, these wise men? And why is it significant that they traveled such a great distance to seek out this child? Well... The English Standard Version of the Bible calls them wise men. The NIV uses a version of the original Greek. They call them magi. By the way, you know that old song, um, We Three Kings Borinar? I'm not going to sing it for you. You're thankful for that. Um, we Three Kings Borinar. Really historically inaccurate. Because they more than likely were not kings. They were wise men. They were magi. They were sages. And there's no evidence that there were three of them. That sort of grew out of legend. The only thing that they did get right in that song is to say that way they were from the Orient. They were from the East. Remember that. But the term magi refers to really a wide variety of men that were interested in dreams and astrology. And they also had a great interest 
in ancient books with mysterious references to the future. Now, can we think of any ancient books with mysterious references to the future? Yeah, right? Books written by the prophets. The second thing that we notice is that they refer to this newborn baby as a king. That, that's a little bit curious. They call him the king of the Jews. It's odd because babies are typically not born as kings. Sons usually are princes for a very long time waiting for their turn to be king. Kind of makes you wonder what made them think that this baby was a king. Well, being from the east, these magi would have been among Jews that had been exiled from Judah and Israel centuries before. And most commentators agree that they were more than likely living among these Jewish exiles, and they were very familiar with the writings of the Old Testament and the prophecies found therein. And what about the star? You know, they say, we saw his star. The star of the king. And we came to worship him. Now, to understand what's happened here and to answer those questions, we have to look back. We have to look back. We look all the way back to the book of Numbers. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Numbers, our scripture is from chapter 24. We're focused on verse 17, but we're going to kind of look at a couple of chapters within the book of Numbers. And for those of you who are not sure, Numbers is one of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy, it's part of what is known as the Pentateuch, right? The book of law written by Moses. And numbers, numbers can be a little bit challenging to read. Yes, it is a narrative. There are story portions, but it also contains kind of difficult stuff too. You know, a genealogy, instructions, laws. By the way, when I hear people say, you know, I'm going to read the Bible. I say, that's awesome, but don't read it like a regular book, because it is not a regular book. Very difficult to start at Genesis 1, verse 1, and read through to the end of Revelation. Most people are going to get lost. You know, they might kind of enjoy Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. What, what am I reading, you know? Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then they're done. My suggestion, no, seriously, my suggestion is read the Gospel of John first. Start with John, circle back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because then you'll understand who Jesus is, and then a lot of the Old Testament stuff will, will start to make more sense. That's just an aside, my advice on how to read the Bible. But let's, let's, let's dig into uh, Numbers, but before we get to chapter 24, verse 17, we want to understand the context. As we said, Numbers is a narrative, and it's really the story of the 40 years that Israel wandered in the desert. So, a little history lesson here. We're going to go back just a wee bit and understand the history of the nation of Israel. I think we're pretty aware that Israel lived in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And the Egyptians, they were not nice people. 
They really weren't. They were hard taskmasters, and life for the Israelites was difficult. So they cried out to God. And the Lord heard the cries of the people as they longed to be free, and he graciously led them out of that bondage of slavery in Egypt. It's the exodus. It's what we know as the exodus. They exited Egypt. Now, with God, and of course Moses leading them, they left Egypt, they headed to Sinai. And if you're familiar at all with the history of the nation of Israel, you know that there were many instances where the people rebelled against God, right? They rebelled, they sinned. And really what it boiled down to is they didn't trust God. They didn't have faith in God. So what God said is, all right, here's what's going to happen. You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years until this generation that doesn't trust me, until that generation dies off. And then the new generation, if they trust me, they will be allowed to enter into the promised land. They will be able to cross over into Canaan. Now, towards the end of the book of Numbers, Israel is preparing to enter the promised land. And on their way to crossing over the Jordan, they run into resistance from foreign kings. And they go to battle with these foreign kings. And with God on their side, they defeat these enemies. They defeated Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. And these were formidable opponents. These were big armies. And then at the beginning of chapter 22, they come and they camp in the plains of Moab. And the king of Moab, a guy by the name of Balak, he's like freaking out. Because he's seen what the Israelites have done to the Amorites. He sees how many soldiers that Israel has, and he's figuring, you know what, I don't have a chance against these guys in battle. So he comes up with a different tactic. He summons a sorcerer to curse the nation of Israel. Really interesting story. If you've never read it, I suggest you do that. It goes from Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Your kids may even enjoy it because there's a talking donkey in there. It's really pretty cool. But I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. The sorcerer, the sorcerer, anybody know what the sorcerer's name was? Balaam, right? Balaam, son of Beor. Now, Balaam was a bad guy. He really was. I mean, he was a sorcerer. But he did have powers. And he did have a history, apparently, of displaying those powers. Because in Numbers chapter 22, Balak, king of Moab, says this. He says, for I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. So Balaam had, had powers. Now, there's several references to Balaam in the New Testament, and that really reinforces the fact that Balaam was a sinful guy. Balaam was covetous. But still, God uses Balaam. He can use anybody. And he uses Balaam. He actually speaks to this sorcerer. Numbers 22 records several instances where God spoke directly to Balaam. In fact, in Numbers 24, verse 2, it says, the Spirit of God came on him. The Spirit of God came on this kind of really bad guy. Again, he can use anyone. 
And Balaam listened. Balaam listened to what God had to say. He actually went so far at one point to say that he couldn't do anything beyond the command of God. He couldn't say anything that God didn't tell him to say. Now, one more really interesting little fact about Balaam. You know, Numbers says that Balak sent for Balaam. So Balaam wasn't from around there. Anybody know where Balaam was from? He was from the Orient. He was from the East. You know anybody else that was from the Orient, from the East? The Magi, right? The wise men. So Balak summons Balaam, and he wants Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. But Balaam can't do that because God is not going to let him curse the nation of Israel. Instead, Balaam offers up four blessings, four blessings or four oracles, the Bible calls them, two blessings for the nation of Israel and two blessings, two oracles for a future king that would come and would defeat Moab, the exact opposite of what Balak wanted Balaam to do. And it is this last oracle here that we want to focus on this morning. Numbers 24, verse 17, it says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Probably not what Balak, king of Moab, wanted to hear, right? In fact, it was the exact opposite. But Balaam makes it clear here that a king will come at a specific time at a specific place, and he will reign, and he will crush the heads of his enemies. Now, as with many prophecies in the Old Testament, there are several layers of fulfillment to this particular prophecy. The initial fulfillment came with King David. King David, some 400 years later, it was David who defeated the Moabites and the Edomites, here referred to as the people of Sheth. But the final and complete fulfillment came with the great king, the Messiah, Jesus. Then Moab here symbolizes all the enemies of Jesus, all those who don't trust him, all those who don't know him. They will all eventually bow down before him and he will crush their heads. Once again, echoing the curse of the enemy that we see in Genesis chapter 3. We talked about that a little bit last week. So there's two signs in this prophecy that we want to focus on this morning. Obviously, the first is the star. <clears throat> the second is the scepter. But let's focus on the star for a minute here. The star, as we said before, it's a symbol of hope, right? 
It's a symbol of the future king, the Messiah that will bring hope out of Israel, out of Jacob. Now, we touched a little bit on this last week, the promise in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham that all peoples would be blessed through his lineage. Now, Abraham begat who? Who's the son? Isaac. Isaac begat who? Jacob. Jacob, right? A star will come out of Jacob. That's exactly what this prophecy is talking about here. And if we go a little bit further in Genesis, in chapter 15, we see God promise to Abraham to bless him beyond number. In verse 5 of chapter 15, he says, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So in the nation of Israel, when they were wandering in the desert, all through the story that we see in Numbers, they could look up at the stars. It was the stars that gave them hope. Now Balaam, Balaam prophesied about a single star, singular. And what's really interesting is that the word offspring in Genesis chapter 15 verse 5 is singular. So shall your offspring be one. That singular star is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the King of Kings who brings hope. You know, Matthew, in his gospel, he begins with a genealogy. Why? Why would Matthew do that? He wants us to know who Jesus is. Matthew 1 verse 1 says, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of who? Jacob. A star will come out of Jacob. Jacob. Matthew wanted us to know. And this is why the Magi could say, we have seen his star. Not just any star. The Magi had way too much information for us to say, well, they just really didn't know. They had way too much information for us to say that they were not acquainted with the words of Balaam, or with the words of the other prophets. They saw the star of hope. They saw the star of the Messiah, Jesus. You know, in Revelation 22, Jesus himself proclaims it. He says there, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Jesus is that star. Jesus is the light the light that defeats darkness, the light that defeats his enemies, the darkness of sin. Friends, our hope and our only hope is in Jesus. And when we place our faith in him, we become one of those stars. Jesus is the light that brings hope to the least, the lost, and the broken. We talked about injustice a lot last week. We heard about it again this morning. 
That's who Jesus is. The star tells us that the king brings hope. Second symbol we want to look at briefly is the scepter. It says, a scepter will rise out of Israel. You guys know what a scepter is, right? That like staff-like thing usually has a big orb or something on it, right? That's a scepter. Who holds a scepter? The king, right? The king holds a scepter. This is the image of a coming king. Coming out of Israel who will declare victory over his enemies. And you know, earlier in chapter 24, in Balaam's third oracle, he refers to this king as a lion. A lion. The future king will be like a lion. And he will turn curses into blessings. Blessings. And who is this lion? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. How do we know? Let's, let's keep putting the pieces of the puzzle together, okay? Before Jacob died, he gathered his sons around him and he blessed them. We find this story in Genesis chapter 49. And to his son Judah, he blesses them. And in verse 10, he says this. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Do you see this? Do you see what this is pointing to? It's a prophecy. It's a prophecy that points to Jesus. Jesus is from the line of Judah. Again, we look to the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of who? Judah. The lion of Judah. And it goes on down to King David and eventually to the great king, Jesus. Listen, listen to what one of the elders says in Revelation chapter 5. This is just awe-inspiring stuff at verse 5. He says, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and the seven seals. It could only be Jesus. It could only be Jesus, the great king, the Messiah, the scepter, the lion. It's another symbol of Christmas, the victorious king born 2,000 years ago. That's how the Magi knew that Jesus was a king. That's how they knew he was from Jacob. They were familiar with the prophecies of Balaam and the other Old Testament prophets. And that's why they came and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They responded to the truth about the king. Now, how do we respond to a lion? Well, if it's in a zoo, we're, we're pretty comfortable, right? 
Got the big chunk of glass there in the moat, you know, right? What if that glass wasn't there? What if that moat wasn't there? Would we have anything to worry about? <laughs> uh, yeah, a lion is an apex predator, right? Apex meaning they're at the top of the food chain. Us, um, yeah, not so much. That's why there's warnings at the zoo, right? Stay away from the lions. Don't cross over the moat. Don't go in there by the lions. They'll tear you apart. The warning, friends, in numbers is that the coming king is an apex predator. He will crush his enemies. First gospel preached is found in Genesis chapter 3. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus crushed the head of the enemy. He fulfilled the truth of the gospel when he died on that cross and rose again. Amen? He won the victory for his people. This apex predator can become your protector. The question is, are you one of his people? Are you one of his stars? Friends, the truth about the star, the truth about the scepter, the truth of the words of Numbers chapter 24, the truth about who this baby is born 2,000 years ago, it requires a response. Just like the wise men, it requires a response from each and every one of us. Boils down to this. Are you on the side of Judah? Are you on the side of Moab? Are you on the side of the lion? Or are you on the side of the serpent? Are you on the side of victory or defeat? See, we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. Will it be in heaven with the, the lion, the great king, the God of creation? Or will it be in the darkness of hell, separated forever from the light and love of God? The binary response, there's only two choices. There's no halfway. There's nothing in between. There's no, oh, you know, I've been really pretty good. That's not how this works at all. The God of creation, friends, the King of kings, left his throne in heaven, and he died for you. Think about that. He died to save you let him let him if you've never placed your trust in Jesus as, as your Lord and King do it today do not wait and if you have given your life to Christ here's the question for you are you living like it are you allowing that great King Jesus to rule and reign in your life or is he just an insurance policy? Just your 
ticket to heaven. Paul encourages us to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Let the king rule in your life. So friends, this Christmas season, anytime you see one of these symbols, you see a star, doesn't matter where you see it, on top of a Christmas tree, wherever, I pray that we would look beyond the surface to understand the reason for the season, and that's Jesus. That great king who will rule forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We praise you for who you are. The great King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we know that there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone's going to do it. The question is, will you do it willingly? Or will he crush the head of his enemies? Lord, I pray for each person here that we would choose the side of victory, that we would choose Jesus as the king of our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.